Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Mike and Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst team. This week, we're taking a look at the trouble that social media companies like Facebook, Twitter and Snap are in as digital ad revenues decline. We're also looking at why the boring world of HR stocks might actually be very profitable for investors. And Anne-Marie gives us an elevator pitch for the Warner Music Group. This one actually gets a green light from her at the end, so definitely worth listening into that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mike and Marie, welcome to this week's Stock Club podcast. And we're actually, for, for our new section this week, we're actually going to kind of do a bit of a social media special or maybe a bit of a social media SOS, uh, seeing how so many social media companies, all the big players have been, are, are being absolutely brutalized this earnings season. So we're up to our neck in earnings season. Uh, and last week, I suppose it kicked off in terms of social media with Snap. Their shares fell 30% after the company forecast no revenue growth for the current quarter, so quarter four of the year. Uh, which is pretty worrying considering that this is the holiday season or includes the holiday season, which is pretty, which is a time that, that companies are usually getting advertisements out. It's usually a pretty lucrative time for digital advertisement companies. This kind of bad report from Snap last Friday sends shockwaves throughout the wider industry. All investors started to worry about the revenues of all these digital advertising companies. Since then, of course, we've had Alphabet report. They reported their slowest quarterly revenue growth since 2013 of just 6%. While Facebook reported last night, we're recording this Thursday morning, they reported last night and reported its second sequential quarter of revenue decline in a row. Mike, I just want to kind of look at the whole industry first before we zoom in onto certain companies. And we, we've talked previously, I know you've spoken previously about the the impact that the iOS 14.5 update have that was about had about a year and a half ago um, from Apple. Can we still blame kind of this security update on the jitters we're seeing in the advertising industry or is there more at play now? Yeah. Uh, before we start, I just want to say to our listeners that it's quite a sad day here at Stock Club. It's James's last day. I think, James, <laughs> you started the pod four or five years ago now. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, just a big thank you. For uh, from us on my Wall Street, and I think the thousands and thousands of listeners over the last couple of years, this was kind of your your baby back in the day, and it's grown into a great podcast. So well yeah. done. Well, thank you very um, much for that. Yeah, well, it was it was two thousand and eighteen. I think we started started two thousand eighteen. So yeah, so we're gonna miss we're gonna miss your your hosting and your dodgy pronunciations. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just about to say you guys are getting better at avoiding the questions I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, I don't even think that counts as a tangent. That's just a complete yeah, not listening complete, to what you said. <laughs> sledgehammer to the thread. Um, yeah, no, look, it's been great. Uh, obviously, moving on to new pastures. I might pop back in every so often. Um, yeah, a special, a special guest cameo special or something. Guest, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, can be, you can be like the Stan Lee of Stock Club. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, no, just a big well done. You've, yeah. d- you've done a great job in bringing it so far. So fair play yeah. to you. Thanks, thanks very much. Obviously, uh, for listeners, Stock Club is going to continue in in the 
capable hands of Anne-Marie and Mike and, and Rory. It's going to continue, but it's not going to be the same. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It'll be our, our, uh, our sound producer, Ray, will have a much easier time editing, uh, I'm sure. But yeah, thanks very much. Look, it's been a great, great journey so far. And yeah, I, 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 I look forward to sitting on the other side of the microphone, I suppose, and, and being a listener for, for a while of Sock Club. But yeah, back, I, back to the question, Mike. Well, no, I think, it, I think it's right because I think it's an appropriate uh, last day topic as well, just cutting the back off. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. I can say what I want. <laughs> doing doing what you love on your last yeah, day, you know exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, what were you saying? Just repeat everything you said before I <laughs> went off there. iOS fourteen point five. Can we still blame it? Yes. Um, yeah, there's a few factors at play here. I don't think it's just iOS fourteen, but at least for the time being, like I, I, I we can't really underestimate how impactful Apple's update was, mm. especially on social media um, apps. They're just, they're just not efficient as they were. The inability to track users, the inability to kind of, not inability, but like, I suppose, the reduced ability to track users and, uh, and, and achieve like the proper attribution levels. It just, it just means much less efficient targeting. And, and, and we've seen that. Uh, I think there was like something like 800 billion in market cap lost amongst Facebook, Snap, and Pinterest since yeah. the 2021 highs. And that's not that's not including Twitter being propped up by this acquisition as well. That would be right along with them too if it wasn't first. So yeah. So that is 100 percent a huge factor. And I'm not blaming 800 billion loss on just iOS, but it definitely plays a role. I'd also suggest that what we're seeing is kind of the first signs of an economic downturn or recession occurring in the ad market too. And if you look at Google, which is completely unaffected by Apple's update, search only grew 4% in Q3 and YouTube was actually down year over year. I think it's because they st- they don't produce, they only really recently produced the YouTube figures. So I'm mm. assuming it's the first time ever it's kind of receded in terms I would of just, revenue growth. I would just like to point out for YouTube, it's not for lack of trying <laughs> with advertising. The YouTube <laughs> yeah. ads have got out of control well, they have actually, you're right. You know, when you come in and it's like in the middle of a video and it's yeah. two unskippable 20 second ads and you're like, infuriating. You need to relax. And they're always so loud. What yeah, is it with YouTube? So they crank the volume. It's, <laughs> it's like someone came into your home to scream at you. Yeah, like, yeah. oh. Yeah. Well, I assume it's obviously working. It's like the Irish people listening, the Harvey Norman ads that used to come on the radio and yes. just screaming in your car. Like, in, they, they make an impact. So yeah, maybe they saw there was there was the writing on the wall a bit here. Ad spending mm. was going down. We need to make them more effective. But yeah. um, in general, recessions are not good for ads. Uh, a McKinsey report showed that it took until 2011 for ad spend to return uh, on par with 2007. So before the 2008 crash. So 2008, 2009 and 2010 were all down on 2007. So um, we see we see it definitely impacted. It's kind of one of those one of those budget uh, line items that gets cut first. Yeah. So obviously the threat of a recession, we're seeing some kind of advertising budgets being contracted. Are, are dollars going elsewhere though? I know you've spoken before about, um, I suppose, kind of connected TV and, and that kind of landscape being chosen as a preferred option for, for some kind of ad budgets. Yeah. So this is very early doors for connected TV, but I, I, I see it as an, inf- I see it where it will receive some, some influx of this ad spend, especially from social media that isn't providing that uh, return on investment, that ROI anymore. Mm. Um, and Connected TV in its early days has shown significant higher ROI. Uh, 
think the research firm was called Analytic Partners, but it had it being 30% more efficient than traditional ad- advertising. Uh, we're recording this a week before Netflix launches its ad platform in the US or maybe in the UK and Australia, a week before it launches its first one. Disney Plus is going to come before the end of the year. So there's going to be a huge boom in that industry in terms of inventory and mm. eyeballs. So that will probably look to supercharge the industry a bit. And then we're going to see, we're going to see the cutbacks in ad budgets. So we're going to see a shift from less efficient advertising to more efficient advertising. So if a company looks and says, Oh, well, we're getting more ROI on connected TV and, but we're spending 10 times more on traditional TV. You can see that. Yeah. Completely changing. So I do see a big, uh, a big boon. I think the same research firm said that connected TV consists of about 7% of ad budgets at the minute, and that could go up to 10, 20, 30%. So I, right. I, I do see it um, having a larger, larger piece of the pie in the, in the years ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get into some of the social media companies. And of course, the, the daddy of social media is Facebook or, or Meta, as it's called these days. And Marie, as I said, we're recording this Thursday morning. Um, Facebook. I'm going to call them Facebook. I'm not calling them Meta. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Facebook <laughs> reported last night. What was it like? Uh, the, the top line figure I saw was another drop in revenue growth. Yeah, really kind of across the board, all, all the kind of main bullet points you would look at if we're treating Meta as a social media company are, are poor. So revenue is down 4% year over year, yet costs are up 19%. This is obviously because they're doubling down on the metaverse development. Um, users across Facebook, uh, Instagram, and WhatsApp are pretty much flat year over year, but the average ad price has dropped by 18%. Um, so average revenue per user has fallen basically across the board. Also, the company added 19,000 employees, which is a increase of 28% year over year. Um, it's not exactly the, the byline that you want to be giving investors yeah. when your stock is in the toilet. Um, no. and, um, really just, I think a lot of people walked away from the call being like, there's zero cost control going on here. So for 2022, they expect their cost to be about $85 billion. And for 2023, they're currently anticipating costs of about $101 billion, which again is a very hard pill to swallow. And Reality Labs, which is the metaverse division of the company, this quarter alone lost $3.7 billion. So it's just a lot of money going out the door. And like I have been monitoring cash holdings at Facebook because for such a long time we were always going, oh, God, they're such a cash cow. They have all this money. What are they going to do with it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, And cash for the last four quarters has just been falling by about 30% every quarter. They're just burning through money. So yeah, it's hard out there. I'm I'm, I'm not a big – not a big person for like criticizing employees and, and I tend to be on the side of the workers. But when you see uh, some of the TikTok videos of uh, certain Facebook or, or meta PMs and what their workday yeah. consists of, the fact that they're adding nearly 20% more of, of them in a quarter uh, doesn't say too much about the efficiency of their spending, I would argue. Um, you mentioned the, the, well, you mentioned there that the contraction, you know, Advertising was always Facebook's bread and butter when they weren't kind of undermining democracies. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> there the contractions they're seeing in, in advertising um, and also in the metaverse. You know, they spent what, well, the last time I checked, they'd spent upwards of 100 billion. It sounds like they spent more again on that. But it, it looks like a real life version of The Sims. Yeah. For Facebook, with advertising dropping off a cliff um, and, you know, is this new version, is this new version of Meta slash Facebook, the, the metaverse, is this like an existential pivot for Facebook? Is this, this either works for the company or, you know, the company's kind of continues on that downward trajectory? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think we can sit here and talk about ads and talk about iOS 14 and macroeconomic headwinds. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like the advertising industry is going to find a way because it always has. You know, yeah. like we we moved from putting things on billboards to putting them in newspapers, putting them on radio, to putting them on TV. Like, I, I, like I think the free market's going to find a way to advertise to us in the most annoying way possible. Yeah. Um, I think what's more concerning is is the fact that everyone seems to absolutely just hate all of Meta's existing products. <laughs> like, I have not heard a positive thing uttered about facebook or instagram in maybe five years so yeah. that's yeah. just very, very I push difficult. back on that the fact that like half the world still uses them like on a that, daily no that is the thing is but the user growth is flat so like we can stand around and we can dunk on snapchat for not effectively monetizing our users and having a hard time with ads but their users last quarter grew by 20 percent, yeah. and facebook is flat so I mean, I guess you could sit around and you say, well, you have 2 billion users. How many more users do you want them to get? Mm. But Saturate the entire globe is a pretty impressive problem. Yeah. I just <laughs> think, I just think like young people just don't seem all that interested in their products anymore. And so yeah. then it's more of an issue of even if we could effectively sell ads, who, whose eyes do we have kind of thing? So now I do think Meta is in this headspace of, of, of trying to justify its valuation via a radical pivot which is like never a, a comfortable position to to put your stockholders in yeah um and i see a lot of people kind of referencing past gambles that companies have made that have paid off when trying to justify this so one that we hear about a lot is you know when netflix pushed ahead with streaming in 2011 and mm-hmm. at one point it looked like they were going to spin off the dvd portion of the company and then their stock tanked by like 80 percent. everyone freaked out everyone's like this is the end of this business but the reason that they had this conviction they went forward is they were like no streaming is the future yes dvds are going really well for us right now but in the next five years, streaming is going to overtake that. And you could argue that Meta is doing the exact same thing right now. They're saying social media is dying, or at least the version of it that we've created. Yeah, Metaverse is the next is the next thing for that. The issue I see, though, is that like Netflix didn't say we're going to launch streaming and we're going to have it in five to ten years. Netflix launched streaming and had it as a twin product to its DVDs, which then meant it could they could migrate users across, mm-hmm. and it was a much easier transition. Like Meta's current Metaverse product Horizon is so ugly. How who's who's using Facebook or Instagram is going? I'm gonna hop on Horizon. It's so ugly. They've they've it's, got legs now. But like I just I just don't understand. And like Facebook made this very public decision to say we are going to create Horizon and release it and iterate it and work on it publicly so people can see it. Yeah, I think that I think that was a mistake. Yeah, because mm. it just means that the initial impression so many people have of this is that it's basically a meme. Like, I just, the visuals of it are so poor. There was a leak that came out the Wall Street Journal had last week that basically said the product is completely ineffective because there's not enough people on it to have it create a community. Yeah. So that no one's interacting with one another. I just, oh, it's it's very hard. And then we're saying, I wonder, okay. I wonder, does it only make sense once the kind of VR and AR headsets become mainstream? Is that, that is that the end goal? I think so. But like, again, is that five years away? The only yeah. person I genuinely know who uses a VR headset is Emmett. And we spoke about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, <laughs> he loves he, it. Like <laughs> He doesn't like normal realities. That's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. And, but well, we were speaking about it recently and, and he was like, oh, he bought one for um, one of his kids. And he was like, yeah, he never uses it. And we have seen statistic usage of like most people who bought those Oculus headsets do, don't use them after the first six months. It, it really it smacks of... 3D, you know, do, like yeah. the amount of times 3D movies, and like I even remember about ten years ago here in Ireland, there was this whole trend of they brought in TV or 3D TVs into pubs and stuff for like games, mm-hmm. and they'd give out like you know the disposal glasses, 
And it just, it's like, stop trying to make it happen. It's the same way I feel about with like Oculus and, and AR and VR. Obviously, it doesn't have as, as long of a lifespan so far, but it's just like they keep looking for ways to use this technology when people, it's a gimmick. People don't really want to use it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I don't think like we have yet found the thing that we'd be like, oh, that's justified. I'm going to put on essentially ski goggles and use them for several hours. Like We haven't found that yet. And then it's this thing of saying, okay, it's this radical pivot that's several years down the line. Do we believe that Facebook is going to get there before it kind of runs out of runway or runs out of money? And then you're thinking, okay, how much trust do I have in Mark Zuckerberg? How much trust do I have in his team to be able to create a truly original product? Because when was the last time Meta really created an original product? Was it Facebook? Because they bought WhatsApp and Instagram. And then you're saying, okay, well, they created Facebook. That was a long time ago. And also, Mm. like, was Facebook truly original? There were other Mm. social media apps before it. So And I I watched the documentary, which is movie um and he, he did, it seemed he didn't make that either so no it's actually a huge lawsuit about it it's kind of Aaron Sorkin anyway yeah. and you're not the only one with criticisms for Facebook um earlier this week there was a pretty scathing letter published by an important shareholder addressed to the company and to CEO Mark Zuckerberg um that castigated him for his focus on the metaverse and the bloated nature of the company I was going to ask what did you think of this letter and did you think the criticisms were fair but I think you've answered that for me there Yeah, I thought it was pretty much like a full slam dunk, like absolutely excellent. (laughs) There's a really great quote in that letter. (laughs) No notes. No, perfect. Um, There's a great quote in that letter where, where, um, what's the guy's name? Brad Gerstner, who's the CEO and chairman of Altimeter Capital. Um, He said, Meta has drifted into the land of excess. Too many people, too many ideas, too little urgency. Um, And I fully believe that because if you go and listen to the call that came out yesterday with Mark Zuckerberg, an analyst got on the call and goes, Mark, you seem to have a lot of speculative bets going on. Do you have kind of concrete facts and figures to show us to be like, oh, yeah, we can see, you know, popularity of the metaverse growing in this way. Here is statistics. Here is, you know, surveying. And it is the least compelling answer to a question I have ever heard. It is worth going to get on the call and listen to the actual recording because Mark Zuckerberg basically goes, yeah, we have a lot of things going on and we got a lot of things cooking. He's like, it's all kind of working out. He's like, Reels is doing really well. Anyone who's been on the Instagram app recently, Reels is not doing well. Um, <laughs> and then he's like, we're, we have full conviction in the metaverse. And he's like, we think that these will pay off in the long term. That was yeah. the only kind of answer that he had and it's really not satisfactory like if you are expecting your investors to sit through a huge hemorrhaging of cash and a complete like a shrinking of an operating margin you you have to give them something and i just i just don't think it's satisfactory he really is turning into kind of almost like elon musk where musk is just kind of like trust me i can do this trust yeah. me well i do not have that conviction in, in, in zuck what a segue, Anne-Marie, because the yeah. next thing I want to talk about is, of course, Twitter and Elon Musk. So, again, Thursday morning recording here. Um, last night, uh, we saw a video published by Elon Musk of him walking into to Twitter HQ carrying a sink, saying let that sink in. The deal is expected to close tomorrow on Friday. So when you guys are listening to this, um, everything we say right now will probably be defunct and something else will have happened. <laughs> but, uh, Mike, you made a great point there. Elon Musk was walking into Twitter HQ. He's made threats recently about cutting... 75% of the company's 7,500 global staff when he takes over. Um, you made the good point that when he, in the video when he was walking into the HQ, there was actually no staff around. No, didn't look, it didn't look great <laughs> for, for Twitter staff. Um, and what also doesn't look great is this deal is pretty much done. Um, yeah. yeah, like you said it there, but I think Elon Musk, he, he contacted all the banks involved. They've, 
they're putting up the money. It's it's pretty much a dumb deal. It's going to get done before Friday. Yeah. Um, and it had to get done before Friday, or the trial would recommence. So yeah. Obviously, this this trial, I think Elon Musk does not want to get deposed or go on to court or something. Maybe he's hiding something, but <laughs> but but that's that's not the point. I think here. Um, and yeah, like I I, I just. It's funny, we're, I'm kind of, I had in my notes here, you know, it's great that this circus is over and the will he won't he bid is done, but yeah. But this was only the the warm-up act, you know, the, the real circus is an Elon Musk-owned Twitter, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And like, well, I think, go on. Just, just from what we've been talking about there, one question I have is, you know, Facebook were very, very good at getting advertising revenue and they're not so much anymore. Twitter were never good at getting advertising <laughs> revenue. So what what do you think Elon's going to do with it? Now that, that advertising dollars are moving away from the social media companies, apparently, how do you see Elon making this company work? Obviously, his plans to, you know, get very, very efficient and lean in terms of headcount. Um, do you see maybe the, the rumored subscription finally coming in or, or finally becoming big? Um, do you see him just gutting the company for parts? What, what do you think is the most likely um, scenario here? I think, I think, especially around the head counting, I think he's saying he wants to cut 75% of global staff. There's, there's two things at play here. And one of them is much more uh, tangible than the other. Uh, first of all, I think he's deadly serious. He is going to cut those jobs. And I think Elon Musk wants it to be, wants it to be perceived in one way. Uh, but what's actually happening is very different. So. It's kind of obvious, you know, he's Musk is this amazing manager who gets the best out of his employees and like, you know, Tesla workers are the most efficient ever and work till 3 a.m. And because they're going to sleep in the factory. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like not, not that that's a good thing. Um, and he's going to come into Twitter and do the same and cut out all the inefficiencies and time wasters and make Twitter that leaner, more focused company. And, you know, its workers are going to be on the same level as Tesla's engineering team. And then... Also, while doing this, you know, Twitter employees made their feelings towards Musk very clear. And yeah. Musk sees them as precious little snowflakes and he's going to fire them because he can and he's a troll and it fits, you know, yeah. the narrative he wants to put out there. That's not really what's happening here. I think what's happening is that Twitter, once this deal is closed, is going to have $13 billion in long-term debt. Um, it came out. It came out that management was already planning to cut staff by the, about eight hundred million dollars, which is about twenty five percent of his workforce. This was before the Musk deal came about, and they parked that because, well, they, obviously, because of the acquisition. So, if you're going to think about that already, the company needed cuts before Musk came in. Now you're adding thirteen billion dollars of debt to the balance sheet. The interest pay- payments alone are estimated to be about a billion dollars. Twitter lost 200 million last year. So something needs to be done. Yeah. And fast. And like adding this high level of debt to the company that's not in great shape already is just not a good way of starting. So removing the bloat is the easiest place to start for Musk. But yeah, I like it's going to be wholesale changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had there was a great uh, quote. I can't remember where the where this article came from, but someone close to the thing said describing uh, describing Musk actually buying the company after all he's done to downgrade it. He was like, it's like you bought a new car, you decided you didn't want it, and then you crash it, and then you go to the salesman, I'll keep it. 
Yeah, it's a, a a pretty good analogy. Um, you know, then speaking, I suppose it's the more financial side. Uh, we don't know when Twitter are going to post their quarterly results. They they aren't kind of doing the big fanfare as usual because of this uh, impending acquisition. Uh, whenever we do see their numbers, um, is there anything worth looking out for anymore? Or is is this company at such an inflection point that <laughs> what what's past doesn't really matter anymore? I, I wouldn't get too excited about it. Last quarter, they they didn't host a conference call. They basically just published the figures and mm. um, we're like, you know, under the acquisition stuff, we're, we're not going to bother with an earnings call. I imagine they're going to do the exact same this year. So you won't yeah. get too much information, I guess, if you see that it's suffering along with the rest of the ad industry um, would be the kind of main concern and just basically hammer home the point of how bad a deal Musk got in the end, yeah. Um, yeah. paying $44 billion for this company. So yeah, I think that would be uh, that would be the main concern, I suppose. Okay, interesting. And we can't leave um, talking about social media without a quick check in on your favorite app, Be Real. What's going on over there these days? Are you still on it? Are you still using it? Yes, I'm still using it. And they just did a big raise. Actually, I think okay. they raised something like a hundred or a hundred and fifty million, which is quite impressive because the, when I wrote about Be Real initially, like it, when it was only kind of had a couple hundred thousand users, the company had only ever raised thirty million euro. It's mm. based in France. So they were like doing all of this on, on 30 million euro. To be fair, in those early days, they used to have these issues of like when the B-Rail notification would go out, the entire app would crash because they like <laughs> didn't have enough servers to serve the number of people. And obviously, like the concept of B-Rail is really smart, but it does mean that all of your users flow into the app at one time per day. And so mm. you do kind of have to have the infrastructure to support that. But yeah, it does seem to be going well. The unfortunate thing is, is that now every other social media app is trying to to copy them. Yeah. So um, TikTok just launched last week TikTok Now, and they're testing it in the United States, and it's essentially be real, it's just baked into the TikTok app. Um, and then Instagram is also cooking up a little be real, and it's oh, it's called. Oh, it has Whoa, an act- are you saying Facebook <laughs> copied someone? Yeah, they just they just stole the feature right away. I'm more concerned about TikTok. TikTok were were kind of the the up the upstart, and now they're just turning into Facebook slowly. I, yeah, I haven't seen anyone use TikTok now. To be fair, like so maybe it's just something they're testing and it'll go away. But um, yeah, it's kind of sad because I don't know. I, I I like to be real. I like be real's founder. Um, I think he's he's kind of in it for the right reasons. I think he's kind of like sure we'll see where this goes. Um. Mm. But like, it's not really a business. It yeah. doesn't have any monetization. It's just was, for fun. I was going to say, there's no fear of any advertising dollars there yet anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder, are we like going to enter a secondary age of social media where people will maybe make the decision to say, I don't want advertising on this platform, so what do I have to do? You know, Snapchat yeah, just released a premium service and it's $3 a month. Yeah. And like maybe if if you went into the social media knowing that, people maybe people would pay for it yeah. and say, right, I'll, I'll give you $2 a month. That's fine. Yeah, be an interesting kind of second second phase of social media. Let's leave that there, though. And before we move on, I just want to remind everyone that we're just finishing our last week of Stocktober. So remember, every day in October, we posted a 60-second stock pitch uh, across all of our social media channels. These pitches gave you all the basics you need to know about a selection of publicly listed companies that you can invest in right now. We covered companies this week like eBay, Costco, and Marie, your favorite, uh, Mercado Libre. 
So if you want to check out all of those videos, go over to our Twitter, TikTok, or YouTube and make sure you don't miss out on any of those. Uh, we've been running a Horizon discount uh, promotion on Stock Club 2 and there's only a handful of places left. Just to remind you, you'll get a whopping 40% off a year's subscription to Horizon. All you need to do is follow the links in the notes for today's show, create a free Wall Street account uh, if you don't already have one and then you'll be directed to a checkout page with that 40% discount already applied. You can alternatively just go to mywallstreet.com forward slash about forward slash Horizon click the join horizon button and then input the discount code horizon 40 um at the checkout to get that code there's only last time i checked i think there was five spots left so um they'll go pretty quick i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mike, let's move on to Mailbag. And you recently looked at some of the HR stocks in the My Wall Street shortlist updated the comments on them so can you give us a quick insight what what's the the world of the exciting world of hr looking like at the moment yeah i think you you, you described it pretty well there like when you hear terms like human resources or or human cap human capital management yeah it's not exactly riveting is it but um but if you sidestep the tedium for a bit there's there's more there's some interesting businesses here First things first, like every business needs to pay its employees. When we talk about like a mission critical expenditure, payroll is payroll is top two and not second. Um, you got to pay your employees. You're not going to go very far if you don't. Yeah. So based on this premise, I had a look to HR stocks we have in my Wall Street in my Wall Street in uh, Paycom and Workday, and they def- they're definitely intersect, but they're two very different businesses. Workday goes after these large enterprise customers, well. Paycom has carved out a niche for itself amongst small and medium businesses. And I think of the two, I'm going to highlight Paycom. I find it a much more interesting business. Um, so this is likely the reason why we don't talk about it is because it's HR and it's boring, but it's actually one of our best performers in my Wall Street. Okay. And I think because it's a bit of a yawn, we don't talk about it, but we should because payroll is a highly competitive industry, but because it's so critical to almost every business's operations, there's plenty of pie for everyone. What's interesting about Paycom is that a lot of its growth growth strategy comes from stealing clients from ADP or uh, automatic data processing. So this is like the kind of $100 billion incumbent in the industry. It takes in about $15 billion a year in revenue. It's just an absolute monster. Yeah, But it is also this kind of slower moving old world business and Paycom has kind of been this nimble disruptor and been able to consistently encroach onto its uh, onto its clients. And that's that's been a huge source of growth for it. So we've seen a, a, across the, the whole tech industry, we've seen pretty significant pullbacks in performance. Um, 
And then this is why Paycom stands out so much. So it's in four consecutive quarters of 30% revenue growth. Um, it's got great mo- margin profile, gross margin in the 80s, highly profitable, generates boatloads of free cash, cash flow. So it's one of these high quality tech businesses that's found itself kind of thrown out. Was it the baby thrown out with the bash- bathwater? Is that yeah. the phrase? <laughs> <laughs> it's too early, too early in the morning to get my yeah. tongue around that one. I was just thinking but, uh, it was a very, it was very specific punishment making you get up at eight o'clock in the morning to talk about HR software. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except, you, except Mike lives in Spain, so it's nine. Ah. Yeah, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm on he's that. already on his first siesta. Yeah, um, it's a more relaxed way of living over here, but it, it, it's got the kind of it's got the qualities of such a high end business in terms of profitability, free cash flow, high growth. It shouldn't really be pulling back as far as it is compared to a lot of other companies who would yeah. be lower quality, we'll say. So, um, really good business. I actually pitched it for September stock of the month. Um, okay. it didn't make it, but yeah. Excellent business and doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Thanks for that, Mike. Let's finish out today then with our elevator pitches as usual. So I want you guys to both pitch me a stock. I'm going to pick my favorite and we're going to dig into it a little bit more detail and figure out what the likelihood of it appearing on my Wall Street shortlist is or not. Mike, I'm going to let you keep going with your role there. What company are you pitching me? company I have very happy is called uh, NICE Limited, which is nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyone know uh, what CC uh, to lowercase AAS stands for? No. No. Contact Center as a Service, uh-huh. which is an incredibly necessary acronym because everything I has love, to be as I a service. I always love finding out about a new kind of as a service. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, this fairness now, this one even has its own uh, magic quadrant from Gartner, which. Okay. Oh. Which kind of legitimizes it a bit, and thankfully, uh, I it, it's all capitals N I C E, so I'm going to say N I C E instead of nice. Um, and it's an Israeli company as well, so I imagine it's not you know just the word nice limited. Um, so N I C E is one of two leaders in this magic quadrant uh, for Gartner, um, which is always like imperative for B two B businesses, especially. It produces software for the customer service industry and steered pretty heavily into AI that covers contact centers, automation, robotic processing automation, which I know is a hot topic. So Mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. And there's a big trend in this kind of automation of customer service. um, And the company actually sees its total addressable market reaching $21 billion by 2026 compared to $7 billion last year. So it's it's looking pretty promising. It also laid out... uh, ambitious long-term financial goals through to 2026 and um, so it expects to keep delivering double-digit revenue growth and 30 percent operating operating margins so very early days um for a company like like for how much i've looked into this company but it mm. does seem very promising are these the guys that are to blame for when you try to ring up somebody and you can't talk to a human being and you're just talking to a robot <laughs> very much likely yeah yeah I would uh, if if they were for everyone, that would be a much bigger business. But yeah, <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for that, Anne Marie. What company are you pitching me? 
I actually have a like a decent pitch this okay. week, which oh. is a change up because I have been kind of trolling the last couple of weeks because I'm tired. I actually thought um, you were saying decent pitch uh, in comparison to Mike's. Yeah, I was taking, <laughs> I was taking umbrage there. Jesus. Sorry. Um, we got very close to pitching Tootsie Roll, which I like to pitch every Halloween because it's mm. such a ridiculous business. But um, I actually went looking into the Warner Music Group. Um, okay. And the reason I wanted to have a look at them um, is – because for the last couple quarters, we keep hearing about streaming companies, like music streaming companies, how they have a really hard time because they have to pay so much money in licensing fees in order to get the music onto their streaming services. And, you know, Spotify is always talking about, oh, it impacts our gross margin, it impacts our operating margin. And the solution Spotify has found is we're going to create our own podcast and our own audiobooks to try and generate more money. You know, it's like how Netflix makes its own content. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of like, surely the thing, the vast majority of what people stream is music. So I was like, who owns all the music? So the kind of only publicly listed play in America for music is the, is the Warner Music Group. They're one of the four largest, um, recording companies, uh, in, in the world. And, um, I actually really like them. It's, it's quite a, f- like, it's a completely different business than we ever look at because you're, essentially like relying on warner to continue to sign very famous artists who do very well and stream a lot of music um and continue to develop artists and then you cross your fingers and hope maybe they'll sign a couple artists who will become very famous and will continue to generate income you know for decades to come um and yeah they actually they have very good lineup they have really consistent revenue growth um pay a nice little dividend it's actually kind of a really great like long-term stock like it, it is this idea of oh yeah i would hold on to that for a couple decades okay say no more say no more i'm, I'm, I'm my interest yeah. is peaked um so i'm really yeah let, let's dig more into warner music music group and find out more about it um and i suppose one of the big things i've just googled it here is obviously look it's, it's an iconic company it's a company most people would at least know of in passing um founded you know back in the in the 1950s or 60s but it's only gone public in re- in recent times can you give us just a kind of a quick overview of of the company uh, and and its kind of path to the public markets yeah so i guess it's kind of important to give you the context of the industry so in the when napster kind of happened and, and music downloading and streaming and digitization kind of came about there was a significant kind of concentration of power um within the music industry very similar to how we're actually seeing the film industry be concentrated now where it's like yeah. oh all these massive conglomerates like disney are buying up all of the smaller players the exact same thing happened to music a couple years ago and it created these behemoths within in the music industry and they bought up all these other publishing and recording companies um and then from there warner was obviously aff- affiliated with warner brothers the the movie studio that's not uncommon so the largest music group in the world is universal music group they're obviously associated with universal um but the they now operate as fully separate entities so warner has been spun off from warner brothers they're no longer affiliated similarly universal is not associated with universal studios anymore they're completely independent okay um so they did ipo a couple years ago they're the only company that trades um in the united states that's like a pure music play if this is something that you're interested in so universal as i previously mentioned is publicly traded um they're the largest they have about a 35 percent market share but they trade in amsterdam um which is quite interesting because i I don't know like i assumed because universal is like such a famous like american kind of brand said oh the, i assume they would trade in new york but no they trade in amsterdam okay. um and then warner is is the second biggest but it vies with sony for kind of the second position they're both controlling about 22 percent of the market um sony is part of the larger sony conglomerate you know like makes tvs and sony walkmans and stuff like that and so um they are also publicly listed but they are listed in japan so in terms of the new york stock exchange we're just kind of looking at warner yeah um 
another good thing to know is kind of how these companies operate, how they make money. So um, either any of these music companies, Warner specifically, will have two segments. So they have a recording segment and a publishing segment. Mm. So the recording side of things is like very much the traditional end of, you know, you hear, oh, someone, I got a recording contract, you know, I got a record deal. So that's, so that's the recording side of things. So they're producing, you know, songs and albums and they find artists and they sign them, they develop them, they pay for their marketing, they pay for their production. Um, and essentially they're, the, the goal is to find an artist, lock them up for a really long period of time, and then you produce their music for them. And then that music does really well and you make money based upon the sale of, you know, streaming CDs and vinyl and and this you know sales of singles and that type of thing the other side of the company is publishing. So publishing is the writing side of music. So when you write an original song, the copyright remains with the writer, whereas the actual copyright of the recording of the actual like audio of the single entity like rests with your um, recording company. Okay. So in publishing, you get to maintain the songwriting rights, but um, you need a publishing company basically to help you manage like licensing, usage rights, and ensure that you're being paid correct royalties. So an example of this is if you're a singer who also happens to be a writer you know you're taylor swift you're ed sheeran you're adele you when your song gets streamed you get paid your recording rights from your recording company but you'll be paid your publishing rights like the you being paid for writing the song from Mm. your publishing company okay so it's kind of the the two ends of of this um and in exchange the publishing company obviously gets to keep a portion of your fees when you get paid out um it is not uncommon for artists who are also writers to have a recording contract with one company but a publishing deal with another and this tends to happen because oftentimes artists who write and produce their own music will often get signed as a writer with a recording company prior before they like become an artist yeah so ed sheeran was signed several years before he became like an official signed artist very similarly taylor swift is the same like she signed a publishing deal at 14 but didn't release an album until she was 17 so she had two like different publishing and recording deals um this often also happens because usually these contracts just go to the highest bidder. So an artist just shops around their work until yeah. someone buys up the contract. Yeah. Um, owning the publishing rights to very famous artists or very famous songs can pay like huge dividends into the future. If Warner happens to own both the publishing and recording rights to an artist, they can create this like really great flywheel. So an example of this is Warner has publishing and recording contracts with Kate Bush and, and they were contacted by Netflix to place Running Up That Hill and Stranger Things. Um, however, because the song was like going to be used so extensively and basically become a plot point. It was like quite a complicated deal because Warner like essentially needed to determine how much this was going to be worth. So Warner and Kate Bush negotiated with Netflix for over two years to give them really? the rights to running wow. up the hill. Yeah, it was a very complicated process. So in the, in the end, Netflix ended up paying them their publishing fee and the song was then used in the series. It went really viral. It went to number one on the Billboard chart and then Warner also got to collect streaming revenue, which came in on their other side, which came on the recording side. Wow. So it's this kind of very interesting, you know, dynamic of they made money on both ends. Yeah. Um, well, like yeah. that begs the question, like, you know, you, you think of the kind of the music industry and, and that kind of publishing and recording side. And it seems a lot of it seems very kind of old school, like, you know, you know, <laughs> you think of like, you know, the, the re- record labels in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. But obviously music has been so fundamentally changed in the last you know two decades. And um, thinking about things like Spotify, also thinking about things like streaming, as you mentioned there, social media sites like TikTok. TikTok is heavily music based. How has, I suppose, how has the changing music industry impacted upon Warner? And has it been for the, the good or the bad, because, you know, with things like Spotify, you often hear about, you know, artists getting screwed over pretty much mm. by by Spotify. How has that impacted, I suppose, the, the record labels like? Warner? Yeah, I would have the same question. Like, surely there's a lot less money in this now than when they were selling CDs and 
Yeah. All the rest. Um, it's actually interesting. There's actually more. Um, w- okay. There's way more on the publishing side of things, like phenomenally more money is now to be made, like having the rights to – because it's funny because – so in order to license um, a song for TV or film, you need to get the publishing rights first before you can get the recording rights. So that's how – there's a lot of loopholes created where you know, you'll have an artist, for example, that doesn't own their masters, meaning they do not own the copyright to their recordings – Again, not to like reference Taylor Swift again, but this is the issue that she had where she didn't own the master recordings to her initial albums. So she w- got upset because she wasn't able to control like like the stream her streaming negotiation or anything like that. Mm. Um, but she does control her publishing rights, which means that she, the reason no Taylor Swift song will ever show up in a commercial or in a movie is because she gets to deny absolutely every request. Mm. Okay. So the, wasn't there the, wasn't there a famous story where? Paul McCartney was chatting to Michael Jackson and he was telling them, yeah. you, you need to, you need to uh, own the masters to your music yeah. or whatever. You need to get into music licensing. Yeah. And, then and he Michael was Jackson like, I'm going to buy your music. Turn around and bought <laughs> yeah. all the Beatles licensing. Yeah. So yeah. he, he owns the Beatles catalog. Yeah. So he yeah. owns their publishing and their recording rights. So he, that's why Beatles music didn't show up in, in media for like 30 years because Michael yeah. Jackson was sitting on the rights. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when it comes to like music licensing, this is called, they're called sync deals when you like negotiate for, um, you to have the right to use music because TikTok is both social media and like entertainment. Yeah. TikTok actually has to negotiate both publishing and streaming deals. Wow. So in order for an artist song to like officially appear as a sound on TikTok, there the publishing company has to negotiate an upfront fee with TikTok. So then they get paid out there. But then anytime someone watches a TikTok which is using your song, you get a streaming payout as well. Wow. Okay. So How much is is Kate Bush like the richest person in the world right now? <laughs> when when uh, Kate Bush's song went to number one for the week, it sat on the Billboard hop, like the top of the chart. She made two point three million dollars that week. Wow! Wow! Yeah, Cow. <laughs> and she wrote that she wrote that song when she was sixteen. It came out thirty eight years ago. Yeah. So she made two point three million dollars on something. So, so like. I'm I'm flipping and flopping on this company now. I'm like, this is the most amazing company ever. Um, it seems like it has a really impressive moat in terms of the the legal complexity of this yep. this industry um and so so there's that and it also seems like because it's kind of like a land grab you know because they're such a big company they probably get first dibs on a lot of artists so it'd be incredibly hard i imagine for another you know an independent record label or, or another record label to come and, and kind of disrupt this yeah, you're you're dead right. So basically, at this point now, there's just four big players. So Universal is the largest, and then we have uh, Sony and Warner kind of in step two, and then there's um, next is like IMG something like that. They have like ten or twelve percent, and everything else is independent labels. So yeah, you're you're correct because when it comes to like signing your record deal, signing your publishing deal, you want to be with the largest player because they have the largest distribution and they have the most connections. Yeah. Um, also, Warner when we had this big consolidation in the industry in the early 2000s. Warner was really good about picking up smaller companies that had really phenomenal publishing rights for older artists. So um, we can kind of go through who they have. So when it comes to recording contracts, so these are just like the songs and the albums, Warner currently has signed Ed Sheeran, Coldplay, Lizzo, Madonna, Muse, Stormzy, Avril Lavigne, Bette Midler, Bruno Mars, Cardi B, Charlie Puth, Cher, Charlie XCX. That's 
maybe one percent of the artists they have signed and like wow. every other artist that they have featured on their website is that famous like yeah. it is it is people you know and 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 that's a lot of big names but maybe more impressively on the publishing side of things you know they have writers that we would know like lizzo and casey musgraves and steve aoki but they also have like a number of like pop writers we don't know because they themselves are not artists but they're you know creating music for absolutely everyone in the world but when it comes to kind of historic names they currently control the publishing rights for Fleetwood mac Holland notes aretha franklin frank sinatra phil collins the smiths it really goes like on and on they have oasis like at huge names and, yeah. but that is not uncommon like all these big publishing companies would have really big names and so yeah you're you're right it creates this massive moat because effectively warner could sit around and say we're not going to sign any new artists and they would continue to bring in a huge amount of money yeah. because they already own the assets okay so yeah where are the risks what's what's the big risks to a company like this mm-hmm. obviously you know there's there's the kind of race between the big players to get the big names. Um, I remember, was it two or three years ago, Bruce Springsteen sold off his catalogue. I think it was $500 million he sold yep. it to Sony. So obviously there's that competition between grabbing up those big artists. But is there any other kind of realistic risks to a company like this? Well, I think, yeah. James, if you watch any biopic, which is the only mo- movie made these days, <laughs> every every record label and recording studio is like the big evil empire that yeah, but that that eps over <laughs> all the artists, you know. So I imagine yeah. that is number one risk. I'm really <laughs> yes, <risk. laughs> yes, greed. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose the risk is is that like streaming continues to expand and become popular because you are correct. Like they do make less money off streaming than they would have if they actually sold a physical CD. Mm. The the kind of caveat to that that they have protection over is actually like it's not the record companies that are negotiating the streaming fees. It's actually the unions. So this is it's very similar to like you know when you sometimes watch people there's like a, a genre of TikToks now and it's people who were writers and actors in the 1990s who maybe have like retired have gone into something else and they open publicly their their residual checks. So, like, residual checks are what an artist or a writer receives when, you know, their TV or movie that they worked on gets played. Yeah. Um, Next level capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they have to be compensated. The reason they are is it's put into their contracts, but it's done so by their unions. Oh, no, no, no. no. The residual checks are fine. The opening it up on TikTok is is kind of warped. Yeah, but uh, famously, like, the music and the film unions are incredibly strong, and so they they open these up, and, and oftentimes you'll hear artists talk about, oh, we make way less streaming than we did when things would play on TV, you know, when, like, reruns would play. Um, however, I do think, like, it's we're kind of catching up to that reality, if, if you get what I mean. So, like, streaming came around, and the union was kind of caught in the back foot, and they didn't properly negotiate new rights. They kind yeah. of left the old TV rights in place. Um, and so I do think now unions tend to update how much money they want per stream um, every couple of years. So I do think like that will continue to expand. We saw it expand this year. Spotify now has to pay like more to lease music. So um, that is kind of fine because the entire industry basically is negotiating with just Spotify and Apple. And so they do have a huge amount of power. It's in everyone's benefit for all of these companies to make more money off streaming, right? So I actually think over time it'll be fine. Um, the I would say kind of the biggest risk or maybe just the uh, the biggest hiccup you're going to have as an investor in this type of company is like they're not traditional in the way that they make money at all. So it's yeah. almost you can't like predict success in any way. Do you know what I mean? Because you're trying to predict is this artist going to get big? You're trying to predict do I have enough faith in Warner to know, you know, they're out on the streets of Canada somewhere trying to find some kid 
who's really, really talented and is going to blow up and be the next Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's the kind of faith you have to have. And so it means that you can't always predict quarter over quarter how things are going to go. So like just for an example, like I went and polled their last call and their CEO was kind of trying to tell people, oh, how Q4 is going to go. And he was like, we have a really strong release schedule for Q4. So we think it's going to be really good. Yeah, okay. And you're just yeah. and like that's the only kind of clarity that you have. It's so like it's, it's oh, okay. very like the movie industry in that way that it's yeah. you know a, a a big a big um blockbuster or a big flop really determines how how the quarter goes. Yeah, and so you really are you, you kind of monitor the overall industry to be mm. like, okay, this is where the company should move in the next 5 years, but quarter over quarter you might not get that clarity because mm-hmm genuinely you get out you read their quarterly calls and it's them saying yeah lizzo is putting out an album this this quarter she's very popular she should do really well we should be able to license her music for advertising so yeah it should be fine but we don't know like lizzo could put out an album and it flops and then you're like oh okay well we didn't have a good release this month but ed sheeran's putting out an album next year you know so this is the kind of world we're in is that like reflected in the stock price then is it very choppy yeah, so they iPad quite recently, and it's like the stock is ugly, ugly, ugly. I think it's down like fifty percent or something like that. I think some of that is just you yeah. know the market seems was, to be kind of ignoring it. But yeah, was this the business? Do you remember Bill Ackman had like the biggest spec ever, and he didn't do anything with it, and then he like bought a small portion. Was this the business? I don't think it's spacked. No, it, it wasn't a spec or something. I can't remember. It was a big hullabaloo anyways, but I think it might have been this business. I thought okay. it was an all-world music business. It could be. Um, yeah, so it's 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 like it's just a funny industry. It's one that you yeah. wouldn't really consider. And you kind of have to – I guess suppose in many ways you kind of have to sit down and, and look at Warner and go, okay, do I like the artists they have long-term publishing deals with? You know, do I – because like even just think of – right, they have the publishing rights to Fleetwood Mac – Fleetwood Mac, the Rumors album is like the second or third best-selling album of all time. People even buy the vinyl now. So yeah. you could almost say, okay, so, solely based upon the old content that they have, I'm comfortable with this. And I think they are pretty good at signing new artists. Like that yeah. is the kind of w- way of thinking you have to go about it. So it, it's, it's funny. There's that really bizarre phenomenon, as you mentioned with Kate Bush, Fleetwood Mac as well, that TikTok yeah. just seems to resurrect these artists again out of nowhere and, and bring them back to the top of the charts. Um we're we're running a bit over time here, so I'm going to push you on your your traffic lights. What what are you giving uh, the Warning Music Group? To be honest, um, I'm actually green. Like okay. I can like just real quick give you like a financial snapshot. Like traditionally, the company tends to have about 15 percent revenue growth every quarter. Their gross margin is 50 percent. Operating margin is about 12 percent. Operating margin is on the move though. It's 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 on the up and up. We go back to 2018, 2019. Operating margin about seven or eight percent. The reason this is expanding is because of publishing rights because people are paying more and more to license music. Um, so that's great for them. The industry, broader industry, seems to be moving in their favor. They have a 2.5 percent annual dividend that has been increasing at a CAGR of 15%. So, you know, this is a huge old world company. It's entirely possible you would pick them up maybe as a dividend payer mm. rather than like a traditional growth stock. Um, they've got $3.5 billion in debt, but they have a really great payment schedule. This is something management seems really focused on. Um, so it's not something I'm like too worried about. Um, but yeah, it's it's a funny company. It's an old world business. It's really different to anything else we look at. It's the equivalent of like trying to buy up patents or something like that and be like, yeah, these are these are good patents. These will be used for the next hundred years. Um, but yeah, it's a very much a long term play, long long term play. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm very interested, Mike. What what's your thoughts? Uh, it seems very complex for me to give it a green. Uh, <laughs> I'm a very uncomplex man, <laughs> but uh, no, it's like you said. It, it seems like there's so much illegal intricacies here, and it's one of these old world businesses that you know. Like you mentioned, that that 
puts incredible importance around deck structuring and stuff like that. And yeah. it feels like it's an older world business in terms of understanding and stuff. Um, but it also seems very interesting. Uh, I can't get away from like the kind of evil man in the suit. Yeah. That's yeah. in every, that's in every Mike's movie. It's on the artist's side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what was it? Frank, Frank Ocean, where he like was on a yeah. badge record contract, produced a really awful album for them. And then straight after produced blonde for himself yeah. independently. It was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be rooting for them. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, fantastic pitch, Anne-Marie. And that is it for today's show. And that is it for my last show. As I mentioned, uh, thanks so much to everybody for listening over the last four years. As I said, stock club is continuing on in the capable hands of Anne-Marie, Mike, uh, Rory and Emmett. I'll pop in from time to time. I'm sure to, to uh to mispronounce words i suppose which is what i do best uh but again yeah thanks everybody for listening over the last four years uh, if you do have any questions for the next episode we actually have a great episode coming up next week Emmett had an interview recently with brett winton of arc invest he's the chief futurist if you've ever heard of such a cool job title in arc invest so that show's coming out next week make sure to tune in after that though if you want any questions answered or elevator pitches tackled on stock club you can get in touch you can find us on twitter that's at my wall street hq on tiktok that's at my wall street or just email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallstreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. Thanks so much for joining today. And I won't talk to you next week, but the guys will. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.